Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. You can walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them all week. What you doing down here, you surely man. It's setting captain's football here at the Irish Times after a weekend that saw Liverpool surrender the initiative in the title race, the telling of David Moyes' side of the story of Man United, and Ryan Giggs taking, well, he's getting 25% of the way to the manager's job if Alan Hansen's Daily Telegraph column is anything to go by. If Giggs can oversee a winning run to the end of the season, the tidal wave of support in his favour would make it impossible for the Glazer family to resist calls to hand him the job on a permanent basis. Yeah. Would it? If he won four games against crappy teams? No. I don't think it would, it would be impossible it, to. I think they could resist, resist it. All right, they could resist it. Um, you know, being, being based as they are, so many thousands of miles away, and living in a world almost completely divorced from the reality inhabited by Manchester United. That tidal wave would ultimately lose some of its impact by the time yeah. it gets across the Atlantic. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, um, I think they could ignore it. On the other hand, it might appeal to them the idea of of a populist type of appointment. You know, hmm. um, I'd say that's probably. Outweighed by these four games that he's won, impressive and all as they are, are unfortunately his only four games in top level management. Mm. But what about the fact that you're talking about a player who's not just any player? This is a guy who's effectively had two playing careers. You know, if you look at his his career, it's 24 years. It's double the average length of time any mm. top player spends at a top club. I mean, it's. You know, how long was Guardiola at Barcelona? I mean, 12 years? Just, oh, the longevity is extraordinary as a player. And the I'm, I'm talking only about his senior, like since yeah, he's yeah. actually been playing first team football for the club. 24 years. It's, it's now. Mm. How, it's that's, it's uh, only natural, you know, that that, that that would translate into managerial success. Say like a guy who's managed a club for 10 years and sure he hasn't won anything. But I mean, yeah. it's only natural that you transport him into a bigger club. He's mm. got to do... Maybe I mean, the, that's the much man, less of a the, leap. The man you were talking about was maybe a fish out of water, or maybe a freshwater fish in salt water, or you know, certainly the atmosphere wasn't his liking. Uh, whereas with Ryan Giggs, he is he is Manchester United. Bad, He's a Manchester United man who lives and breathes Manchester United. It would be a bad bad idea for Ryan Giggs given the job as Manchester United manager. I'm not sure if Alan Hansen fully believes it's the best thing for Manchester United. I'm not saying that his allegiances to Liverpool would want him to 
We saw Liam Brady. Liam Brady was delighted that there's a uh, crisis at Manchester United. Yeah. Maybe some Liverpool people are delighted there's a crisis. I would imagine I they imagine probably are. Probably are yeah. And that crisis could be deepened by a novice manager being appointed. It's not even... The the, com- the comparisons made with Pep Guardiola quite a lot. Now, noth- a couple of things. Nothing that I've ever heard Ryan Giggs say... I, I shouldn't be denigrating him. He's, he's clearly a bright guy. Clearly thinks a lot about the game. But I haven't heard, anything, uh, heard him say anything that would lead me to believe that he has the genius football mind that no. Pep Guardiola has. No. And Pep Guardiola did manage the B team, had, had been heavily involved in coaching and management. Ryan Giggs has had one season as an, a marginalised assistant coach. Yeah. It's not even as though he's... And, and Pep Guardiola had also been on a, a bit of a tour of, of Europe, um, finding out things about how... I mean, he even went to Man City for a trial. You know, he was... Man City decided they didn't want to hire him. Um, you know, we don't need this old Catalan man. Uh, hanging He's a around bit the intense, place. This guy, isn't he? This guy's this guy's intense. You know, we don't, we we're not sure we need. Could you sit down and have a, have a pint with him? You know, could, could you, you sit down and have a pint with Pep? Probably not. You know, yeah. He'd probably be drinking some kind of IPA, and he'd only actually drink, you know, three mouthfuls. Can't of trust it. a football man like that, Ken. No, he's he was the wrong it's type of football man for Manchester City. But yeah. as a football man, he had been around a bit. He played in Italy. He, he had studied coaching in several different countries. And then, as you say, he had much. And then there's the fact that he is a kind of, uh, a bit of a one-off, really. You can't just say that Ryan Giggs is the new Guardiola because he's about the same age, actually older, um, considerably older than when Guardiola took over at Barcelona, you know, and, and had been with the club a long time and is a bit stubbly. You can't. You can't else. make the yeah, I mean, comparison that basis. All you're talking about is, yeah, right, they've both hung around at the clubs that they're now, where Guardiola began managing at Barcelona because he, and he was there for a long time. Giggs has been at Manchester United for a long time. There's literally, there's not a whole lot else to compare them. Really I mentioned from. that David Moyes has had his side of the story told. This was in a four-page supplement in the Sunday Times, The Betrayal of David Moyes. The Betrayal of David Moyes. That's, uh, that sounds pretty dramatic. Uh, it does sound pretty dramatic. What, the most interesting part of it was a very lengthy piece by Jonathan Northcroft, who uh, clearly has a very good source, very source, very close to the story. And this very one has close a to David Moyes. huge, huge, huge amount of detail in this. A couple of the, the details that struck me, right? Mm-hmm. One, maybe three, if you don't mind me. Give I'll me tell, three I know what my favorite detail in the story was. I'm, I'm going to see if... We, no, no, let's hear, your, right. let's hear your three and I'll, I'll tell you if my it matches my favorite. My three are one. the reaction of the players. Yeah. Um, so according to this article by Jonathan Northcroft, the, Wayne Rooney was particularly regretful, called Moyes later on Tuesday to thank him for mending bridges mm-hmm. between himself and the club. Darren Fletcher gave a message of thanks, and Adnan Yanazai was said to have been emotional when Moyes announced the departure of the squad. One more, Ryan Giggs went to see Moyes privately and told him he was a good man. That's my favourite detail <laughs> in the story. Ryan Giggs went to see David Moyes and told him, you're a good man, now, David. give me your job. <laughs> you're a good man. It's probably the most insulting thing you can actually say to somebody. You're a good man. That's literally all the positive things I have to say about you. The fact that, you know, you're, you're hopelessly incompetent. You know, you, it makes me wretched. But you are essentially not a monster. If you have to say to someone that you're a good man, yeah. you know, usually if you're speaking to someone, the, the, you're a good man remains unspoken. It's kind of an implicit thing between two human beings who respect each other as good people. It usually doesn't have to be spelled out. Uh, but on this occasion, uh, Ryan Giggs was evidently lost for anything else to say. Another detail. 
Moyes tried Ferguson. This is on Monday. So uh, Moyes heard about this the way the rest of us did mm. by uh, everyone. Well, in his case, I don't think he, I don't know if he's on Twitter or not, Ken, but a lot of people saw it on there and saw their various sources. Started ringing him up, uh, friends, family, agents, this kind of thing. He was totally in the dark, ma- makes a few calls, can't get through. Try, goes, I know. I know one man who will take my calls today. That's Alex Ferguson. He's championed me, championed me right along. So if there's one person who'll, you know, be straight with me, yeah, Moist on this, the darkest, the darkest day of my professional career. If there's one man I can rely on to deal straight, it will be my fellow Glaswegian because he understands the meaning of loyalty. Moist tried Ferguson, and when after several calls and texts, he could not get the former his former patron on the line. He knew the game was up. Ferguson subsequently explained he knew a decision had been reached and did not want to have to lie to Moyes on the phone. Moyes appreciated that position, also the sadness at seeing him go that Ferguson expressed. And he holds to the belief that he always got support from his predecessor. Yeah. That's uh, Moyes. That's an extraordinary paragraph. Yeah. That's fact, really unbelievable. Because he, Alex Ferguson refused to talk to him and David Moyes has decided, actually, yeah, no, I appreciate that. I understand I pre- why. When I was calling him all those times and I was just sitting there the phone's ringing. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, Alex is probably doing right by me here. Yeah. I mean, he's refusing to take, sure, he's refusing to take all these calls. I mean, this is the, the ninth time I've, this is the ninth different mobile phone number I've rang <laughs> for Alex Ferguson. But he's not talking about, I'm sure his reasons are heartfelt yeah. for refusing to talk to me at the moment when I need to hear from him the most, nice. one way or the other. I mean, if that's to, if that's to lie to him, fine. If that's to say, listen, David, all of the people who have read these rumours on Twitter are no longer Maybe ahead it's of what you. Moyes needs to believe as well. Maybe he, it's, he, it's a tough pill to swallow being sacked, I'm sure, by Manchester United. I, I don't know. I would imagine it's a tough pill to swallow. And one of the things he can cling on to in his own head is, well, Ferguson stood by me. Hmm. Or maybe he just has to. Maybe it's just but better not to make an enemy out of Alex Ferguson. I would say that's the much more um, likely. One, yeah, more, day. one more detail, Ken. Yeah. This, is a, this is a strange, this is t- almost totally irrelevant to anything, but I just thought it was a funny detail. There was an angle to this. In fact, the, the, one of the strong angles to this was how unfair it was at Manchester United to leave him in the job for the Everton game. Yeah, We all know the reason they did that seems to be they would have had to pay him more money if they had sacked him while he was mathematically still, mathematically, still qualified yeah. for the Champions League. So he ends up having to go and manage the team at Everton. And this is painted by John Northcroft as some sort of horrible um, thing to have to go through and quite... Um, disrespectful I guess towards Moyes now I don't think that's the case he's a manager and he had to manage his team and it so happened that it was against his old club but the detail was that I found particularly interesting he was jeered off the bus okay we can guess that happened to Goodison he was was jeered at the stadium then he endured awkward handshakes with frosty former staff yeah I thought it was really strange I didn't realise the circumstances were that acrimonious in which he left that that the guys he used to work with suddenly they can't look each other in the eye when man cannot, cannot serve two masters uh, I, I've heard it said. Uh, maybe, you know, working for Roberto Martinez, you can't have those warm feelings for David Moyes. You have to put those in a locker deep in the... But it's Roberto Martinez. It's not Paolo Di Cagno. Yeah, but, you know, maybe maybe you sort of have to, you know, emotionally convince yourself that, yeah, I'm much happier now under Martinez. Hmm. Oh. oh, bloody... Bloody hell, Wolfie's only gone and broken his leash again. Sorry about there this. There he is. Well, that Sorry does mean, of course, that it is uh, time for... Second Cap's competition, Murph. Uh, competition time, which to me, of course, means 
KBC bank account. That's what it's all about. And your favourite type of bank account, Murph? Well, that's the KBC regular saver account. Only an idiot would say different, don't mm, That's right, Murph. With the help of KBC, we're offering one lucky listener the chance to win a 500 euro cash prize. Mm, more than enough to pick myself up something nice. A little reward to myself, just for being me. But that's not all, Murph, because that money will come in a special limited edition Second Captain's P-Bezo mug, along with a set of super slick Second Captain's darts. Pool cue and canoe or sold separately. To enter the competition, just visit irishtimes.com forward slash Second Captains. And for more information, visit the KBC regular saver page on kbc.ie Terms and conditions apply and I don't need to tell you guys here and everyone listening that KBC Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland I don't need to tell you but I'll tell you anyway You've told me on I consider myself told Ken Aries, report on sport Alan I've never asked you this before but I wonder if you'd be able to tell me in briefly about your essential view of human nature mm-hmm. Well that's a question I mean I want you to describe what um what a piece of work is a man? Uh, precisely what kind of piece of work is a man or, or a woman? And what, is, what is the mystery of this human heart of ours? Do you see human beings as fundamentally good, as fundamentally well-meaning? Do you see man as a creature that can approach perfection? Uh, or do you see him as one forever condemned to uh, struggle against flaws that will eventually overwhelm him? Or her? You're gonna have to. The first one. You're gonna have first to. One. <laughs> you're Fundamentally gonna, good. You, you believe in. You believe in the. You, you, oh, there's some bad eggs. There are, a few, there are a few bad eggs out there. Bad, don't get me wrong. bad apples, bad eggs. But uh, the batch, largely, the batch of apples is good. Is is largely good. Sometimes corruptible. I mean, all apples are corruptible. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you leave them out there for too long. Yeah. If you just don't treat them the right way. Yeah, but you. Maybe some apples are born bad. I don't know. Do you believe a man can be a hero? Yes. You do? Of course. Oh, it's really uncomfortable when you turn the tables on him like this. We, sh- we should I'm, make I'm, sure I'm, that I'm, all I'm guests don't com- know this. Yeah, I'm always more comfortable asking questions. Yeah. Well, Joseph Mayer doesn't believe that, Alan. Uh, what is this quintessence of dust? That's Joseph Mourinho. He's saying uh, that essentially footballers are spoiled, stupid sacks of meat who uh, don't, who think they're a lot better than they are. Probably because they spend all their time playing those idiotic computer games where players just don't let the ball run under their foot and then fall over as they chase after it. They just That just doesn't happen. If you're playing FIFA, it doesn't happen. Um, footballers uh, might go around with a lot of swagger because they've got money and mm-hmm. people want to be them and they think they're great. But Mourinho understands that their attitude is just a thin, membranous covering delicately stretched over an inner yolk sack of terror and chaos. Did he say this after the game? Pretty much. Well, he said it before the game. That put the cat amongst the pigeons with uh, (laughs) Jeff (laughs) Shreves. He said it before the game. uh, It's what he's been saying throughout his career. What he's been saying is that you are not as good as you think you are. I know you think that you're... Is it not the exact opposite? Hmm? Is it not the exact opposite? Or it used to be. What? Frank Lampard, you may be naked now, may not be the time, but maybe I'm naked. I can't remember the story exactly. Now but we're in the, the showers. Now is the time to tell you. I want to get you at your most raw. That you are the greatest footballer in the world. Yeah. Now, what he may he may try these little uh, mind games on on the likes of Frank Lampard when he thinks they need a bit of a bit more pep in their step. No, not pep. That's the wrong wrong uh, phrase. I shouldn't have used that phrase. But a bit bounce, more bounce in their step. Jose in their step. Yeah, a bit more swaz. 
Uh, <laughs> That's Dwight York. Did you see John Joe Shelby for Swaz, by the way? Oh, yeah. Swaz Shelby. I mean, I thought that one, Swaz Rooney's oh, one right out of it. A lot of Swaz. Did the rain help? I don't know. I mean, it seemed to curl I think I think lot. if you asked Dwight York, he'd tell you that on a rainy day, it helps. It, on, for the, on the Swaz, the Swazometer, yeah. you know, the, you actually nearly, nearly need to take into account the rain when yeah. using the Swazometer, such is the effect of the Swaz when... Joined, joined with yeah. Well, Shelby seems to compute all the all the possibilities and Swanson at the top corner. Pretty amazing. Um, but we were talking about Brett Mourinho and his, let's say, jaundiced view of this human animal. Mm-hmm. An animal which, when you look at it, is badly designed. Two, uh, two awkward-looking legs, head a long way from the ground. It doesn't make any sense. Why is the head so high from the ground? I mean, if you fall over, you hit the head, that's it. I mean, intelligent design, the best argument against intelligent design is the sheer stupidity of the human um, body. I mean, if you were designing something from scratch, you wouldn't design something that looks like this. Nonsense. Um, now, the, you've got these badly constructed meat bags running around in a field trying to control a, a, a bouncing, slippy, you know, uh, ball, which they think they can control, but it's only ever an illusion. They can't really control it. There's a lot of chance, a lot of chaos in there. Jose Mourinho accepts this and plays football, which incorporates that whole idea into the system. Uh, so that he would say, okay, I've got all these uh, football players, these badly designed bipeds who are conceited and think that they're, think that they're great, but I know that they're essentially, uh, they don't have as much control over the game as, as they think they have. What that means is I'm going to play them in such a way that even if one of them makes a mistake, which they will, there'll be another one there to kick the ball away. Ashley Cole made a few, actually. Made a few mistakes. Yeah, he kicked a couple of dodgy ones away, but there's always somebody to cover. That's, there was always somebody to cover, that's the thing. So that's uh, what Mourinho's game plan is about. Since human beings are uh, fallible, since they're always going to make mistakes, since footballers are going to make mistakes, both my players and the, and the opponent's mistakes, I'm going to make sure that my team is set up in a way that when they make a mistake, it doesn't bring the whole thing crashing down in flames. Right? That's, that's the idea. Brendan Rodgers has a different view of human nature. He believes in heroism. He believes there, there may even be heroes in his team, in his dressing room, on his staff, on the bench, there may be heroes. And he wants to embrace, he wants his heroes to embrace their potential. And what that means is that in a match where Liverpool have their first chance of winning the Premier League, well, the Premier League ever, and the first league title for 24 years, they can end up against a team that's only going to be dangerous on the counter attack with Steven Gerrard standing as the last man in midfield in the first half. This can happen. And then when he does make a mistake, what happens? Well, it's punished. The whole thing comes crashing down. And you could say that the mistake was a, a random thing. It was just lucky that Mourinho got that. You know, that his, his tactics, you know, how can you credit him when, in fact, everybody saw that what happened was Steven Gerrard slipped over in a way that <laughs> we haven't actually ever seen him done before in, in 700 games. Um, you could say that. Yeah. I think I did say that in the earlier show. But you'd be wrong because that's exactly what Mourinho's idea of the game... Ideas, uh, Mourinho's idea of the game incorporates somebody making a mistake. You don't know exactly what type of mistake they're going to make, but you know that they will make one. 
and then you're going to be ready for when they make it. Uh, and Liverpool's idea of the game apparently didn't include that. I couldn't understand what Liverpool were doing at all. How high would you have the head? Hmm? How high would you, if you were designing a human body from scratch right now, how high off the ground would you have the head? Well, right away, I'd say you'd, you'd have four legs and an extra set of legs, more like an insect's uh, six-legged thing. So you'd have the, you'd have the speed and uh, agility and maneuverability of a four-legged creature, but uh, also the arms and opposable thumbs of, uh, of a two-legged one. So I think right away you're looking at an extra set of limbs. But even then, you know, we, I suppose it's difficult for me as a 35-year-old to design a, a better-than-human, you know, just the idea of legs. Like a centaur. A centaur, effectively, I suppose, is, is kind of what we're they, looking they at. They had arms. The, the, the human torso had arms. Yeah. So Although, I mean, I mean, I think the arms should be able to, to get round to the whole uh, body. For instance, I don't think, I don't see any way that the centaur... If it had an itch on one of its hind legs, for instance, mm. would have been able to do anything about it. So just shorten the the trunk of the horse body. Yeah, and then that's you. You could you could have something like that, or a, you know, a lion's body, like a, a sphinx or something like that. Mm. Mm. They didn't have an extra samurai. Look, it's it's difficult for us because we're already we're already thinking inside the box. Let's say. Uh oh, this sounds like a Brendan Rogers talk. <laughs> no, what I can't understand is why Liverpool. Rogers actually said something after the game about how uh, how. It was always going to be difficult if we didn't get an early goal because then Chelsea, they're never going to come out and play, you see. And this was in the course of what he was saying about how easy it was to, to for anyone, anyone could, could tell a team to just sit there and defend their box. That's not what we do here. That's, we're, the, we're about the polar opposite of that. I'm thinking, really, though? Is it, like he said to Jeff Shreves, uh, I don't, Jeff Shreves invited him to pay tribute to the tactical genius of John, Jose Mourinho. Did Jose's tactics decide the game? And Rogers said, no. Yeah, because I don't think it's a tactic to just, you know, effectively defend, to just sit back. Uh, I'm thinking, well, it is a tactic. It's one that Joseph Mourinho's been using for years and years and years. Everybody knows how it works. Everybody's seen it, seen this happen before. Whenever they win a game like this, it's always the same way. So why do you play into their hands? Why do you do exactly what he wants you to do? Was it because, and you know, I just, Roger said, um, we, if we didn't get an early goal, it was going to be difficult because otherwise, how would they come out? But the point was, nil-nil was great. Nil-nil for Liverpool was a great result. They already effectively had the advantage. A draw means... Oh, it was such a strange game, but even watching Chelsea time waste from the start, and I understand that that was to slow the game down, it was a, just looked strange. Mm. If, you, if you didn't know the context, you would have assumed from pretty early on, well, there's, there's this one team who desperately needs to win this game, and there's another team who really desperately just want to draw and to, to get out of there, but there was a bit more to it than that. Yeah, I, I, the only point about Rodgers here, I, he, clearly his tactics didn't work, they lost the game, and they didn't really pose a threat. It was mostly just long shots from Steven Gerrard for the second half, but he might argue that, they, that this is his philosophy. This is how they beat Manchester City by playing like that. This is how they have beaten a lot of teams yeah. by having a, com- teams. having a firm commitment to attacking football, and that those are the kind of players that can carry that game plan out Mightn't be as comfortable carrying out a more defensive. I don't because I uh, like you say you've said it yourself. Not every team can just defend. Yeah. It's actually not necessarily simple as that. If that was the case, Ireland wouldn't have gotten hammered over in the European Championships by yeah. superior technical teams. Well, Rogers says that any anyone could could get a team to do that. So I mean, he he clearly thinks there's no problem with it. Now I don't know if he just said that in a moment of churlishness to try and belittle Jose Mourinho. Maybe that was maybe that was it. Maybe he doesn't really believe any team can just do that. But if any team can do it, I don't understand why he didn't do it the other day, because Chelsea were the ones that needed needed the goal. 
and Liverpool were playing like they were the ones who needed it, and then they ended up getting punished. I mean, if you're talking about just the manager who wants to go out and play the same way in every game, then you're talking about Arsene Wenger. You know, he lost six nil to Chelsea. Is that what you want to be like? Is that is that what you know? If if you're gonna, I mean, and people have, have certainly praised Brendan Rodgers this season for his tactical innovations, which is which you know sometimes he plays Sterling on the left and and Suarez in the middle. Sometimes he plays Suarez on the right and Sterling in the diamond. Sometimes he plays, you know, but it's it's kind of just moving around. You're talking about some good players here, you know. If 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 you're on the right or the left or up front. You know, we're still talking about a good collection of attacking players who who, who seem to play quite well together. And um, what yesterday demanded, I think, was a more comprehensive tactical uh, reshaping of the team to take account of the fact that Chelsea are a different kind of team. Manchester City will come to Anfield and try to win the game. That's the type of team they are. Manchester City will come and try and try and attack, move players forward, leave space behind. They're going to do that because that, that's their philosophy. Chelsea are never going to do that. So why do the one thing that Chelsea wants you to do? Why play the one way that Chelsea wants you to play? Why not say, okay, Chelsea, let's see how you do against a team that plays like you, which, looking at your record, isn't very good. Mm. Played this way against against they, they struggle against Sunderland, against West Ham. Well, you are talking about a team doing Villa. something that they haven't done all season. So, okay, they're all professional footballers. It's just a matter of being a bit more disciplined in certain areas, positionally, tactically, all those kind of things. But I think the team could have done it. Uh, I mean, you've got, for instance, the, it's the team that they had yesterday wasn't quite the same team that's been that's been winning all these games and scoring a lot of goals. Henderson was an important player in that team. They didn't have him when Sturridge was injured over Christmas. Who was the player who linked really well with Luis Suarez? It was Henderson. He wasn't there. Instead, they've got Lucas Leiva, a completely different player, a slow player who really can't tri- contribute to anything in attack, but is quite clever defensively, mm. tactically clever defensive player. You know, you didn't have Sturridge. Sturridge wasn't fit. You know, so you, you know to say we're going to play the same way. Anyway, well, you don't have the you don't have the players that have been playing that way. Maybe you need to look at a different way. What they do, if you, what what do you do if someone parks a vehicle illegally? Clamp it. Clamp it. And what happens then? You have to release the clamp. Oh, well, you have to pay money. Or, or to it gets get the, the, the person comes back, they see the, that their vehicle has been clamped, and they end up having to make a phone call and have the clamps taken away. Or their vehicle, at the end of an allotted period, is taken away and cubed. And Chelsea, I don't know if that actually happens. Maybe there's a there's a slight there's, the time lag is a little longer. There's a time there's a time lag. Yeah, you forget the bit where you, where you curse yourself, but then you curse out the clamping company. Yeah, and you say, "Hang on, like that is ridiculous. I didn't see how, how was I supposed to know I wasn't supposed to park in this hospital emergency A and E area." Yeah, go on. Uh, you know, and and that would have happened after 75 minutes of the game if Liverpool had simply clamped. Chelsea's two buses that Rodgers talked about and then stood back waiting. Mourinho, by about, with about 50 minutes to go, would have started getting agitated and having to make phone calls and try and, uh, and change the situation. Otherwise, his vehicles are going to be cubed. And then, then where, is he, where is he then? You know, nil-nil. Really boring game. And Chelsea haven't achieved any objective and Liverpool are a step closer to winning the title. For some reason, they didn't do that, even though, as Brendan Rodgers said, anyone can do it. I mean, you talk about you talk about the this bus thing, you know. Mourinho was the one who invented the, the phrase, you know, to because he understands that you slag off people who do this, the thing that I do, because <laughs> it's the last thing I want anyone doing against me. But you know, he's a responsible driver. Brendan Rogers is like, um, I don't know if you've seen the Wolf of Wall Street on. I haven't. No. Jordan Belfort's Lamborghini. That's Liverpool's title charge uh, after 
yesterday's game. I don't think it had to be that way, uh, but that's where they're at. The PFA team of the year, consolation for Luis Suarez, who heads up that as player of the year. Yeah, I mean, the, the three Liverpool players in that team, Gerard, Sturridge and Suarez, uh, seems, I mean, three, three of the worst performers. Yeah, well, maybe, it's, is it unfair to say Gerard was the was one of the worst performers? It probably is. Uh, no, he made one mistake. Other than that, I thought he was quite good. He, yeah, he, I thought there was a lack of uh, restraint in yeah. his efforts in the second half. It was more like the old Jared. He, he'd become desperate. He was trying to save him, trying he, to redeem he himself. He was, but I mean, they weren't creating much else, and he has the ability to score from range. So he does. Yeah, he didn't catch any of them right, though. It was. Yeah, and you, you're talking about getting it through a lot of a lot of bodies. I thought maybe the header he might score, but then he put it straight to the goalkeeper. There was Petr Cech uh, is in goal for the team of the year. Shame is Coleman. Uh, is the first Irish player in here since Richard Dunn in 2010. Vincent Company and Gary Cahill, Luke Shaw, Adam Lalana uh, gets in there as well. Stephen Gerrard, Yaya Torre, Eden Hazard, who won the Young Player of the Year, Lewis Suarez, who's the PFA Player of the Year, and Daniel Sturridge, um, who uh, that, that completes the team. So, yeah. Um, no John Terry. No John Terry. Uh, three Chelsea players, Hazard, Cahill and, and Czech. Um, two City players, two Southampton players, an Everton player, and no Manchester United player for the first time in 24 years. You don't think John Terry deserves being there? It's hard to say, but isn't it voted for by the by the fellow professionals? So for some reason they didn't vote for John Terry. What, you think there might be a personal element to that? Craig Bellamy will tell you there is. Because it is seen that... Everyone in the league knows what that man's about. <laughs> That's what... That <laughs> is what... Uh, <laughs> That's what Bellamy said about Terry, all right? I mean, that's just one opinion. Uh, before no, but it was seen that the only thing that could potentially hold Suarez back w- was that there might be non-football reasons not to vote for him, but clearly the players... Didn't Patrice ever vote for him? Certainly that was the, there was a story in one of the papers a couple of weeks ago that ever was going to be voting for Luis Suarez. He did. Apparently he did vote for him. Apparently he voted for him last year as well. So that, that um, hatchet is buried, it seems. Yeah, he's he's making his decision on footballing reasons rather than personal preference. Manchester um, United, um, Ferguson, Giggs, yeah, Class of '92, talk to me. Uh, I should just <laughs> I should just mention Jose Mourinho instantly, and I will talk to you about that. But he uh, obviously saying we have no chance again. I mean, he boasted about having having beaten City and Liverpool, but you know. It still looks like he's going to finish behind them. So that's, I mean, that's kind of a double-edged boast, I think, you know? I mean, you can't win four games against these teams. And then if you finish behind them, what you, what's going on there? Mm. Um, and he's talking about, uh, you know, the, t- the team played brilliantly. The best team won. Every player, player was brilliant. We made no mistakes. We had zonal play, which is more difficult than man-to-man. But that's when he says every player was brilliant, we made no mistakes. That's it. That's, that's like as close as you get to perfection. You know, I mean, this is... If this isn't quite like his masterpiece, the Inter against Barca, which they actually they lost the game on the night, but they were two goals up, so it didn't matter that they lost by one goal. They had 23% possession that night, whereas they had 27 at Anfield. So it is approaching peak form. Maybe if they can get it down to 20, 19, 18%, um, there's a chance of Mourinho once again, um, you know, exceeding or, or, or once again matching the, the yeah. of that night. Um, the the thing, the Man United point, um, the interesting thing to happen over the last few days was Alex Ferguson uh, speaking out in favour of Ryan Giggs. Um, I thought this was a bit of a surprise, uh, given... The context is a charity lunch, so I don't know 
Uh, he was presumably asked about Ryan Giggs, I would I would say, and was hardly going to say. And he, I'm not getting into that. Well, you're at a charity lunch. You're the, you want to be value for money or value for possibly no fee. I don't know. And but you're there for whatever reason you're there for. And uh, you're well, Alex Ferguson. You got to say something interesting. You can't say no comment at a sociable charity do. Surely. Well, I mean, I think you could say you could say a lot of the things he said. I signed him as a kid at 13 years of age. He's gone through the gamut of emotions at the club. He's experienced all the highs and lows. Uh, he knows exactly what's needed to be a Manchester United player. I was so pleased he put, brought Paul Scholes back in and Nicky Butt, of course. They understand the club. They're hard workers. They're straight as a die. So you've got to have the right combinations there. There's no doubt about that. I think that's all absolutely mm-hmm. fine for a charity lunch. You know, you're giving a bit of colour on Giggsy there. You can maybe throw in the... He was like a, a dog chasing a piece of silver paper in the wind. Um, but... Do you need to say, I think that Giggs is the one man they should go to, really? <laughs> Do you need to say that? Uh, I mean, I think that's it's pretty unambiguous. This is what Ferguson thinks. Um, it's obviously what Giggs thinks. Uh, I don't know necessarily if it's what Ed, Wood, Ed Woodward thinks of the Glazers. I'd say they'd be a little bit worried. Ooh. Well, because uh, uh, what people are thinking here is that if Ryan Giggs is the manager, is Alex Ferguson actually the manager? Yeah, with Ryan Giggs as his um, or is he still figurehead? Is he still calling the shots? Uh, there was a piece by Simon Cooper on the subject of of United and their succession a couple of days back uh, in the Financial Times, and he ta- uh, talking about Louis Van Gaal. It says, in some ways, the Dutchman looks perfect for the job. A respected coach with a bigger reputation than Moyes ever had. He plays attacking football and specialises in building young teams. Indeed, he seems to distrust veteran stars. However, Van Gaal too is weak at PR. For two there, I mean, he was saying Moyes is a disaster at PR. But yeah. Ferguson seemed to disdain journalist Van Gaal often loses self-control in their presence. His bizarre red-faced rants make him look like an angry schoolmaster from comic book. His rhetorical question to one, one journalist, am I so clever or are you so stupid, has become a Dutch classic. Um, uh, a guy, he quotes a guy called Hugo Borst who's written a book about Van Gaal recently, a Dutch book, I'm not sure if it's available in English. He says... He's a first-class professional, but the press will be a real problem. Expect things to escalate at some point. So, um, essentially saying that uh, that might be a, an issue if they do go for him. Yeah, okay. Uh, Pep? Yeah, uh, Guardiola. Um, and obviously, in a, you know, a very difficult personal time for him with the very sad death of Tito Villanova. Um, has this game now against Real Madrid to prepare for. Um and it's talking about how, well, from what I've read, it seems like Real Madrid are already in the final. That's great for them. You know, we're really looking forward to welcoming finalists, 2014 Champions <laughs> League finalists Real Madrid to play this friendly game at the Allianz Arena. They've kindly condescended to play, uh, is more or less what Guardiola is uh, saying. Um, but says that he doesn't think Real Madrid are going to play the same way. Or he says, I can't imagine that Carlo Ancelotti will set up his team in such a way as to just keep the result. That would be difficult to maintain. It's clear what we need to do. We need to score more than one goal. We're at our quick team, so we always have to be positioned well when we lose possession. The best is to keep them a long way away from our goal. I mean, he was talking a couple of days ago about how I know I'm trying to do something countercultural here, in, in Germany, that is, when he's playing this, this keep ball. And he says, I know that what people like here is what Dortmund do. This sort of run ball, you know, <laughs> kick the ball forward, <laughs> run after it fast, shoot it at the goal as hard as you can and do it all over again as quickly as possible, as many times as possible. You know, in Germany, people are like, yeah, that's, that's what we understand by football, not this 
passing it around. Why are you passing it around like that? Um, Guardiola's trying to keep his eye on the on the prize, you know. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I, I imagine Real Madrid will set up their team in exactly the same way. Seeing as it oh, worked, uh, even it more so. so well. Absolutely. Again, they might go down the Jose Mourinho route. They might hope for less and less and less possession. Yeah, we don't, maybe we eight don't. or nine percent could do them. Eight, eight, eight or nine percent. They've got a fit Ronaldo, a fit Bale. Yeah, you only uh, really need each of those to get one chance. So maybe even five percent. Kick the kick off. Boot it to their goalkeeper. Just funnel back. Just <laughs> funnel back and see what they give you. Yeah, um, I, I wonder if if there maybe is something in this about how uh, you know. Okay, we were, we were talking about the Champions League semi-finals last week and how the three of the four teams are, are counter-attacking and one only one's really attacking. Maybe at this stage of the season when every team has so many games uh, in their legs, maybe there is a the, it kind of becomes more and more advantageous to be this type of a team. Well, if you're going to be that, I, I love Murph's theory here. Let's go back to that for a second. If you're going to be that kind of a team, why not lay down a psychological marker from the kickoff? Mm. You just boot it over. You have to boot it to yourself first. Obviously, say Bale yeah. has rolled to Ronaldo. Ronaldo maybe gives it back to Bale. Just got a couple of touches. Just, well, just well, listen, why not? Straight to the goalkeeper. Straight to the goalkeeper. Come and have a go. Yeah. We, you're not good enough to get through us. Yeah. We're going to score a goal. And straight away, if Ronaldo players, feels like he wants to have a pot shot. Like he's yeah. got a thunderous drive of a ball. <laughs> yeah. If he wants to go for it, then. We, you know, you know, we, we're not straight jacking the yeah. guy. Yeah. He can have an effort on goal from his own center circle. After that, though, just you know, get by on the ball. I think there is definitely. I mean, it's 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 clear that there is the big difference between European football and I mean Champions League football. That is, and league football is that a draw in the league is a bad result, whereas a draw in the Champions League means you're still alive. Well, provided you haven't already lost. Um, so it actually does. Uh, it does give an advantage to more negative teams. You know, the reason that Chelsea are probably not going to win the league is because they've, they haven't got the kind of results that they needed. You know, the West Ham game is the best example. Yeah. Nil-nil at home against West Ham. Again, in the Champions League, that result is okay. In the league, um, you pay for those results. Well, let's talk more about Chelsea in uh, just a moment after we end Kennedy's report on sport. I want to book a holiday. I want the flights, the hotel, some flattering new bikinis, a big silly hat and nice dinners in local restaurants with cute waiters. And I want, no, I have to be beach ready. So I need to be a regular saver. KBC understands spending is easy, but saving is hard. That's why we have a range of savings options with tempting rates that make savings simple. So you can save when you want and spend when you want. Visit kbc.ie, call 1-800-5152-53 or pop into any KBC hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. KBC, the bank of you. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Might actually start with Liverpool before we talk Chelsea. Dion Fanning of the Sunday Independent and Tony Barrett of the Times are ready to chat to us. Tony, uh, first of all, the mood in Liverpool and the city since yesterday, is there is it deflation, defiance? What's, what are people feeling? There's a strange mix. There was absolute deflation, obviously, at the, the final whistle. There was deflation, I think, when Chelsea scored the first goal. It felt fated the way it came about. The timing of it, the fact it happened in the injury, stop it time, that was added on to Chelsea time. Everything about it just felt wrong from a Liverpool perspective. And, and that feeling's continued in a lot of ways. But I think today there's also that feeling that Manchester City don't have the most straightforward of runnings. It's, I mean, they should win home games, of course, but they've got to go to Goodson Park. And if you look at their record there for the last 20 years, it's, it's, it's abysmal. And there is, there is a feeling that if there is a ground where City could drop points, it may well be Goodison. And a lot of people question whether Everton would want to beat Manchester City 
now and that it could have the title to rivals. But I think anyone who's, who's been at Goodson Park this season and who's spoken to Roberto Martinez will know that he will send the team out to win that game because that's the only way he knows. Yeah, well, I mean, this is being mentioned a little bit on the idea that maybe Everton don't want to don't want to win it but this has happened loads of times Liverpool against Blackburn in 95 would be the prime example where Liverpool had every reason in the world to maybe go easy and allow Blackburn to win that game and they didn't do it uh, do you think there's any any possibility that any part of the Everton psyche will be happy to lose that game against City? No I think if they lost it they mightn't be unhappy that they haven't given Liverpool the title but I don't think they'd play like that and I think you see this season more than any other season that trying to kind of war game matches and say, oh, this team won't be trying in that game or this, they'll, they'll have nothing to play for, it doesn't really work. And I think Everton's record uh, against City is, is, is the most important thing. And I don't think that there's any question that they, they'll, they'll, they'll be trying to win it or they won't be trying to win it. Tony, it was a pretty interesting game yesterday from a tactical point of view. Um, do you go along with the, with the uh, telling of the story that has Jose Mourinho, uh, the underdog, uh, with hopelessly limited resources, um, managing to triumph despite against all the odds through his tactical genius. No, but nor do we go away with the get away with the idea that he is someone who who killed the game yesterday. I think the two views are just ridiculous extremes. I saw I saw the Chelsea side yesterday and thought that is going to be really difficult to break down. There is a lot of big, strong, physical players. A lot of them defensive minded. If Mourinho would have had all of his team available to him, obviously Terry would have started, Kale would have started, but I think quite a few of the others would have been in just on, the, on account of their size and, and their capabilities. I think Barr was the perfect choice for that game, and he, he demonstrates that with, with not just his goal, but the way he played. But, but the idea that, that he killed the game is, is something that's really... It, it, I just can't understand where people come from with this. Is Mourinho supposed to come to Anfield having seen everything that's happened there this season and set Chelsea up to play attacking football? If you want to win that game, you have to come up with a game plan, and it may well be a game plan that is entirely intended to stop Liverpool from playing. But if that thing gets you the result, that's what what you do. I I played a a game a couple of weeks back, just a a nothing game at Melwood against... It was a press team against... Liverpool's former players and Daglish was their manager and they were warming up for, for a charity game on, at Anfield and they, they wanted the sacrificial lamb but the mistake we made as the press we went 5-1 we five, up, up and all of a sudden there's balls come out left, right and centre all over the pitch there was a multi-ball approach that we weren't aware of and in no time at all we're 6-5 down and, and they get a penalty that was never a penalty and it was all about their winning mentality they did whatever it took and these are men 50, 60 years of age who still do whatever it takes to win football matches and it's exactly the same DNA that Jose Marino showed yesterday you do whatever you have to to win Who killed you? Was it was goal rush up front banging the goals in? <laughs> It was a mix. It was, to be fair, the referee was on Liverpool staff and he, he, he did give quite a few concerts and decisions under pressure from players who know how to put referees under pressure. And all of a sudden, the multi-ball approach stopped as soon as he went a goal ahead. All of a sudden, as we're looking for football, there is only one ball. And this is that mentality, that winner-all mentality that goes through all the great winning teams. And it, it, it's it's... Mourinho's got it to the core of his being. Sometimes he takes to extremes and I'd separate the time recent off from that because some of that was obviously, it's not right and it's not what you want to see in a football match. But it's all part of the same strategy to win football matches. Tony, it strikes me Brendan Rodgers could learn a thing or two from hanging around watching this uh, these kickabouts at uh, uh, Melwood uh, because the thing that I couldn't understand about the game was not that, that Jose Mourinho sent out a team to play defensively and waste time and frustrate Liverpool and all that because 
I think everybody in the world who's who's seen him at any point over the last 12 years probably expected that to happen. What I didn't really understand is why Liverpool weren't happy to kill the game themselves. They only needed nil nil. I'm not sure they got the players. I think, I think that's the big problem. I, I but don't, don't, think they have, don't, the don't they have the players? I mean, a lot of the players were there when Rafael Benitez was drilling that into them. They've got Lucas Leiva, they've got, you know, Skirt Lanagar or Benitez players. Johnson was there under Benitez. They know how to park a bus. I, I, th- I think Lucas Leiva pre Crucius would be ideal for playing that role, but I, I think now he doesn't, he doesn't get about the pitch as well. And I think when you lose that kind of mobility you, and you, you can't really play that role as well as you did, I, I, I look throughout the team, there is not. There's not that core of defensive solidity. They've lost a lot of the players. You talk about Daniel Agger, but he's not someone you'd necessarily put in if you want to just kill a game. It's not what he does. He's an expressive central defender. Glenn Johnson's an attacking fullback. I think they they represent the past of Liverpool, but I also think that Liverpool were victims of their own success yesterday. I think Liverpool went into that game on the back of 11 successive wins thinking we've got to be true to the principles that got us into the position we're in. And I think that was why in the, the 47th minute of the first half, 48th minute of the first half, Steven Gerrard's on the halfway line. And when he slips, the centre-halves aren't behind him. The full-backs aren't behind him. The full-backs are up the other end of the pitch. And the centre-backs alongside him on the halfway line with the centre-forwards, they, they don't play that kind of percentage. Because playing that percent, kind of percentage isn't what's got them into the position of, of league leaders. Yeah. It's interesting, Dion. Do you think that in, maybe in, in a way Rodgers fell into the trap of almost believing his own mythology of what's been built up around him when I don't think anyone would have been too, you know, even Dublin winning the All-Ireland final last year, they played incredible football right the way through. Last 10 or 15 minutes, they were happy enough to to cynically fail and all the rest of it. And sometimes maybe teams just need to need to do that. Maybe Rogers just was a little bit too idealistic. Is that fair to say? I, I, I think so. I think I would agree with Tony too that Liverpool kind of have to play that way but I think they they, there was, they could have found a medium uh, and I think what got forgotten yesterday in the build up and you know with a lot of the stuff Mourinho was saying and I don't think it had much of an impact on the match but I think what it did do was it made people forget that Chelsea actually needed to win yesterday and that was and that was the thing uh, that Liverpool could have could have adopted an approach which said right Chelsea have to win we need a nil-nil. We don't have to play defensively, but we let them draw them out a little bit. I, and I think the thing that happened to Liverpool as well is that they lost their way. You know, they say they can pl- only play one way, but they didn't play that way yesterday. Now a lot of that was down to Chelsea, but you know, Gerard pro- probably because of the mistake he made. Gerard had one shot against Manchester City. He had nine yesterday, and then, you know, in the second half, you could see it. He was trying to trying to redeem himself, trying trying to be the hero. And one of the reasons for Liverpool's success in this run has been the way he has been disciplined and has adhered to that defensive midfield role without the kind of uh, sort of you know dynamic kind of slightly anxious way that Gerard would have played in the past. And I think that returned yesterday, and that was unfortunate. So I think they didn't play the way that Rodgers wants wants them to play, and ultimately they didn't really play at all. Mourinho, this has easily been the most impressive part of his makeup this season is how he's prepared his teams for these big games and, and got them winning them quite impressively, Dion. But the fact that he has lost, that his team have lost some matches that they should be winning, is it possible that actually, we know the players maybe sometimes struggle to get up for properly motivated or whatever it might be properly prepared for a lower opposition from time to time. Is it possible that maybe Mourinho has fallen into that? trap that he hasn't actually really prepared his team. He's maybe been fo- so focused in these massive games that he hasn't done everything that's needed to be done to get them right for these other matches. Possibly. Uh, you know, I was one of those people who wondered, like before yesterday, if Mourinho uh, 
really was what was the manager he once was. And maybe you know, one of the effects of that is that he, he puts the preparation into these games but doesn't uh, for some of the smaller matches. But against that, you could also say that when he plays the smaller teams, their lack of a, of a strike force or strikers that he trusts uh, you know, counts against them. So I think that would be a factor too. Um, and I, you know, I do think that what what they do and is uh, like there's this stuff that this this was it was easy what Mourinho did yesterday. Mm. If if it was easy, David Moyes would still be manager of Manchester United, having them playing playing that way. I think there's a, there's an awful lot of what what a coach who plays the way Chelsea did yesterday needs to do is persuade the players that this is going to work, and that takes time and that takes work. And I think you saw that yesterday that the players believed in Mourinho probably the way they didn't believe in him at Real Madrid when they tried to do similar things. And uh, he can still do it, whether it's enough against the smaller teams when, they, when they're looking for goals. It clearly isn't because they're not where they should be in the title race. Um, Tony, I saw one writer make the point, I think it was Barney Ronan who made the point, that okay, the Chelsea uh, style, the way that they played yesterday, the way that they've played in a lot of these big matches, uh, gets a lot of criticism from people who are watching on TV. And really, you kind of have to be there to see it in the flesh, to kind of to to understand or to respect what's going on. I mean, Rogers said anyone can tell a team to to do this, you know, defend and lock down their penalty area and, and stay behind the ball. Um, but not not every team can do it quite this well. I mean, you were there to to see it. What was it something which you know once you're there in the stadium, actually seeing it happen before your eyes uh, is a little bit more impressive than it is on television. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point because because I was watching. Like everyone else, Atletico Madrid, Chelsea last week, and I thought it was an abysmal, just an abysmal game. Everything about it was bad. Didn't enjoy it. Chelsea came and did similar thing at Anfield, and I sat there and I was impressed. I was, I was, I was impressed by just what was said there about the players buying into his methodology. If you look at Shearer, who's a winger, the amount of times he tucked in and became the extra man in terms of midfield, he's a player who wants to run at defenders, and yet his. Everything he did yesterday was as if he was the natural defender, the one who had the defensive mentality, the one who could stop opponents from playing. And that went right through the team. There was a moment when Chelsea won it up in midway through the second half. Frank Lampard went a step forward. I think he went three or four yards. And it wasn't an advanced position by any means. It was just past the halfway line. And Mourinho was up, get back, get back. And he stepped back three, four yards again. And that three or four yards made all the difference. He intercepted the next Liverpool attack. And when you see it that close up and how well drilled they are, you have to be impressed. The only thing I would say is that it does expose the hypocrisy of Mourinho when he calls other teams out for doing a similar thing. And I think that's, that's the thing that sticks in the craw. It's not that Mourinho does it. It's that he doesn't respect it when opponents do it. OK, we'll leave it there. Tony Barrett, Dion Fanning, uh, thanks a million. Cheers for chatting. Cheers, thank you. Yeah, I guess it's the more you think about it, the more it's quite easy to distill what happens with Chelsea. And that is that the smaller... Maybe... I, I think it's a fair question to ask that whether maybe Mourinho just doesn't have his players as focused for whatever reason on the task in hand and maybe he himself just hasn't got the energy to give to those games as he, as he does for... I remember one of the big games I won early in the season. I can't remember which match it was, but afterwards John Terry was... Uh, Jeff Shreves or whoever it was asked him, how did, you, how did you do it? And Terry was like, well, just Jose's amazing on weeks like this. You know, we're in Thursday for mm. hours watching these videos. But, and you, you knew that that, the, was that the, meant that, that was they're the not doing game, it. I think. Could have been, yeah. So they clearly aren't doing that for other games. And maybe no, no, could, sorry. Uh, that was the Paris Saint-Germain game. That was was the, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you clearly can't be doing that for every single game. And that's, that's true enough. It, clearly, players have to do something special for those, for those biggest games. But at the other point about this, the reason they're not beating the smaller teams is just on the tactical level. They are doing what you think Rogers should have done, and they're just 
They're parking the bus. Yeah, they are. I mean, the Swansea game Chelsea played recently was was a good example. You know, against 10 men, they really, it was desperate. It was absolutely desperate. They got, the, there was a sending off of Chico Flores after 17 minutes. 10 men and Chelsea just didn't know what to do. Yeah. Okay, there were a couple of half chances for Salah. One that he definitely should have scored. But, you know, as Jose Mourinho will tell you, players make mistakes. You can't rely on them to score every single chance. And eventually they did score a goal on a breakaway. How Swansea managed to get sucked into giving away the chance of a breakaway, I don't, I don't know. But it was Demba Ba who, who got through just as he did the other day. You know, that day they were lucky to beat a 10-man team. You know, that's the, that's the limitation uh, of their approach. But it works great in big matches. Yeah. Because you don't often come against, you don't come up against teams that do that a lot in the big matches. Rafael Benitez of the Liverpool teams did it to Jose Mourinho and there was barely any goals scored you, for Tony, hours and hours. Maybe Tony Barrett's team of journalists should have tried that defensive approach once they went 5 0. I don't know if Tony Barrett's. still burning at the memory. Yeah. They, would you have, with, the, with your first chance of winning the league for nearly a quarter century on the line in a game that you only need to draw? have Steven Gerrard on halfway as the last man. That's why it's that's why the error is fatal. It's not just Gerrard makes a fatal mistake. It's Gerrard makes this mistake and it's fatal because there's nobody behind the ball. Nobody at all. Seven players ahead of the ball in the Chelsea half. Liverpool don't need to win this game. You will never, ever, 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 ever see a Jose Mourinho team let in that type of goal. Jonathan Wilson is ready to talk about the other end of the table. Jonathan and Sunderland are out of the relegation zone after hammering Cardiff yesterday. Are you now full of belief that they will avoid the drop? <laughs> um, I mean, it's, what's happened is just ridiculous. Uh, you know, a fortnight ago, I, as I think everybody else, had, had, had written them off. I mean, I think the, the failure to, to get even a point away at Norwich and then the really pitiful performance in, in losing home to West Ham, you just see me sort of, where's the next point coming from? And then... To to get a draw at City and probably should have won that game. To win at Chelsea and then to demolish Cardiff, seven points from three games, suddenly looks very different. And it's it's in their hands. And you know, whatever happens now, they've got a chance of staying up on the last day of the season. Which if you'd offered to Sunderland fans two or three weeks ago, they'd have, they'd have thought even that was dreaming. So the fact that they've got home games against uh, West Brom and, and Swansea. Six points would guarantee they they stay up. Four would almost guarantee it. If they can't get four points from those two games, then really they've only got themselves to blame. Those sort of uh, defeats that you talk about there are usually the kind of results that kill a team, especially a team like Sunderland who were playing catch up really from the time that Poye took charge. What is it about them that has has them hanging on and has got the results turned around over the last week or two? <laughs> Absolutely no idea. I don't think anybody has. I mean, if you if you listen to to, to Poyet, he he seems as mystified as anybody that he, he chucked kind of wick him in as a sort of a last desperate gamble, and he is finally. I mean, I say fine. He's only twenty one. I think maybe he was written off a little early that the people sort of forgot just how young he was because he he'd come through so young. Only I think he was he was only just turned sixteen when he sort of started to make his market Ipswich. Um, and yeah, someone paid I think just over eight million pounds for him three years ago. Uh, and you know, there's been this long wait for him to come good, and you saw little flashes of it. And, and actually, he he did start to look good towards the end of last season under Di Canio. That Di Canio played him away at Chelsea in his first game in charge, and he actually, you know, holding the ball up, physically looked pretty decent then. Uh, and this surge of confidence he's got. I mean, that finish for the first goal yesterday, uh, that header was a was yeah you know, sensationally good finish. That five goals in three games after one in thirty seven. Suddenly he's good, come good, and suddenly Sunderland have a cutting edge to to go on top of it. A midfield has actually looked all right, really, since since Poyet arrived. 
How good do you think he can be, Jonathan? Is he going to be the new Dean Ashton, maybe, or, or the new <laughs> Fernando Torres? Well, he's not Fernando Torres. I mean, he's a different different shape of player. I mean, Ashton, I think, is a, is a much more similar player in terms of build. It, you know, it's three games. You know, let, let's let's see if what happens in the next three games, and then see what happens at the start of next season. Uh, and he is only twenty one, but yeah, you know, he did look incredibly promising at Ipswich. That he's not just a big lump. He's he's technically quite good as well. There's a couple of goals he scored at Ipswich. Um, well, you know, he he beats men, beats them for pace, beats them for skill. Uh, we haven't seen that really in the last three games. But he, he's he's more than just a target man. I think he you know he he has the raw material to be very very good. Do you now? This this might seem like a weird question. I'm sure most fans would answer no to this, but. Is there a sense that maybe Sunderland not only deserve to get relegated this season, but that it might in a way do them a power of good, a sort of bracing corrective of of plunging into the cold water of the championship, um, and maybe they could, let's say, restructure a squad which seems to have become very unpopular with the supporters? Um, I can see why you might think that. I actually think not. I think they've, they've done a lot of restructuring over the last couple of years, and one of the reasons it has been such a struggle this season one of the reasons that so many new players came in last summer uh, was they were restructuring the squad and they've reduced the wage bill significantly, I think, by somewhere between 20 and 25%. Um, there's a definite focus on trying to sort of bring through players from the academy and bringing in sort of 18, 19-year-olds. Uh, so people like Mavrias, who's only played sort of half a dozen games, Watmore, who I think has played one game in the League Cup, uh, who you know, may well... Um, come to look like good signings in the future. So I think that restructuring is already there. Um, and had if if Sunderland are relegated, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying this that everybody at the club has a clause in their contract. Certainly, everybody who signed for the club in the last couple of years has a clause in their contract that their wage would go down by forty percent. So I'm not sure it would be quite as bracing as it might be for other clubs. And I think for the process that that uh, uh, experience of, of, of um, dipping into the bracing cold waters of the championship, I think some of them have already started uh, the process that, you know, that they might undergo had that happened. Yeah, I think Niall Quinn brought that in, or certainly uh, some speaking recently about, um, about just trying to convince everyone at Sunderland that that was actually a good idea. Those kind of um, reductions in, in payments, which seem pretty sensible. All right, just on uh, Sunderland's next well, game. Yeah, sorry, Jonathan. Yeah, a big, um, a big discussion uh, within the club last summer as to whether they should announce that the wage bill has been reduced. You've got to be realistic in expectations this season. And they ultimately decided that would be negative to do that, right. and they decided not to. I, I, I mean, I wonder whether maybe that would have been a good idea just to sort of calibrate people's expectations. I think also something that's always overlooked is the order of the fixtures. It has been pretty weird for someone this season that um, their, their first, of their first eight home games, they played full of on the opening day of the season, then the next seven home games were against uh, teams who finished in the top six last season plus Newcastle. So they didn't pick up, you know, there was no cheap points early in the season and that set them on a, you know, a, a poor run which maybe just sort of depressed confidence and everything. And it's left them with the sort of easier home games now, the, the, the Cardiff and West Brom and, um, and Swansea. Manchester United now um, next up for them. Uh, and this, <laughs> weirdly, this could be a potentially huge game in the history of Manchester United because even Ryan Giggs said after the win against Norwich well all I can do is win my four games and, and take it from there there seems to be I thought a consensus is the wrong word but there certainly seems to be a growing idea 
Jonathan, and I don't know if you agree that it would be the right thing, but that if Ryan Giggs can steer Manchester United to three more victories, he is a, suddenly a live, serious contender for the permanent job. Well, I mean, I think that would be nonsensical if that's what they're judging it on. I mean, if, if, you, if you've seen Ryan Giggs as a coach and you, you've spoken to him and you, you, you sort of think he's the man for the job, then fine, that's a decision you make. But if you're going to judge Ryan Giggs on games against Norwich, Sunderland, Hull and Southampton, which is the, you know, the one game he's had and the three games he's got left... That tells you nothing about his capacity to be a manager at the top level. Um, yeah, I mean, David Moyes, before the Everton game, they beat well, Newcastle 4-0 and, and Villa 4-1. So that sort of mid-ranking club, they, would, they, they got to a stage they could dispatch them anyway. So I, I think, I mean, unless gigs are something catastrophically bad in these four games, I don't think that they should really be taken into account at all. But you know, it does seem to be. I mean, you've got somebody like Alex Ferguson saying that he's the he's the right man uh, to take over the, the club. You've, you've, I think it would definitely appeal to the romantic side of the supporters. Um, and you've got players like Wayne Rooney saying that he's got all the credentials. So the, the pieces are all uh, advancing up the board in a fairly menacing uh, way now. As far as Ed Woodward, who, who doesn't appear to be too keen on the idea, is concerned, he knows that if he brings in. Uh, his own man, it's going to be in, in the face of opposition from all of these sources. Yeah, and all that's true. And, and you know, as I say, if you think Giggs is the best man, that's fine. But you shouldn't be judging it on these four games. If you're judging that on how he handles coaching sessions, on how, how he's spoken about his vision for the club, um, then, then you know, that's, that's a logical decision. But these four games shouldn't be the litmus test. The people who are claiming that Giggs should be the manager, Jonathan, are, the touchstones really are Pep Guardiola, and Kenny Dalglish maybe as managers who went pretty much straight from playing. It's a, it's a bit of an exaggeration, right? Really, in the Guardiola case. But does Giggs, from what you've seen of him or what you know of him so far, belong in that company when you talk about the potential to be a top class manager? Well, he's always seemed very um, calm. He seems to be somebody who is capable of. Of thinking, I think the way he, he adapted his own game when his pace started to go, I think that speaks very highly of both of his understanding of football and, and his understanding of, of um, physiology. Uh, it's a, you know, it shows a preparedness to, to actually think about things rather than just plodding along the same tram lines, which certain players have, have done. Um, so, so those are certainly positives. Um, but I mean, only people who've, who've really seen what he does in coaching would really be able to answer yeah. that. Uh, my, my concern would, with, with the point in gigs, um, you know, purely as a, from an outside point of view, is is that all a bit cosy? Is it all a bit just stick to what you know? Uh, and is that actually what United need? Uh, maybe you know, we, we've seen a number of senior players this season, I think, have, have not really performed with the same hunger that they might do. Would that perpetuate that? Uh, and that, that would be my big doubt. Who would you go for then? I mean, would you, would you say Louis van Gaal is the... The man they need to come in and, and rip up and start over again? Well, as again, as, as a complete neutral and as a journalist, I would love Van Hal there because that would be hilarious. <laughs> um, I just love the prospect of you know, going to a Jose Mourinho press conference at half past nine on a Friday morning, thinking you've got a brilliant line, thinking the back page is yours, and then an hour later, Van Hal does something absolutely bonkers and, and, and steals that page, back page from you, um, which I think would happen. And, and to have the two of them in the same league would be brilliant. Uh, so in terms of a spectacle, in terms of a soap opera element, I would love Van Hal to get it. I can see the logic in that he's clearly he wouldn't be a long-term solution. You could appoint him for a couple of years and maybe 
you know, um, bring gigs through if, if gigs is, you think is a long-term solution. Um, I think you know, Van Hal will be a useful stopgap. He, you know, he's a man with a great track record. He's somebody who, although you know, his trophy count in the last decade isn't great, he, he at least paved the, you know, laid the foundations for the modern Bayern Munich. So you could imagine him doing that for, for, for somebody else coming in. So I think there's a lot of sense to a Van Hal appointment. Um, but you'd go for Carlo Ancelotti? I, I, well, he's a safe option, yeah. Okay, Jonathan, brilliant, thank you. Cheers, thanks. Let's just go back to the Sunderland, uh, what the requirements for Sunderland here at this stage, Ken, to stay out of relegation. How is, how is it? Well, Sunderland are um, second or fourth, rather, from bottom. So they're one place off relegation. They've actually got the same points as Norwich, who are uh, 18th, uh, but they've got a much better goal difference, 12 better. So, that, so it's like an extra point than Norwich. And they've got a better goal difference than any of the teams behind them. So, so they've effectively got an extra point. Um, Norwich, uh, they've played a game fewer than Norwich as well. So, um, Any team really bugging you this year? There's always a team that you kind of just want to go down for some reason. Um, Cardiff. Cardiff, the whole... Cardiff. Vincent Tan Ama- I'm amazing. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer I would have thought was one of the most popular players in the history of the Premier League. And it seems that the antipathy towards their owner and towards what they've been about this season has outweighed what I thought might be some sort of positive vibes that have come from yeah. Solskjaer being appointed. Everything that happened to Mackay seems to outweigh that. Solskjaer hasn't been this hugely popular person that you think he might. Yeah. And he's done nothing wrong. He hasn't put a foot wrong as far as I think publicly, but it's not as though... Yeah, I, I would have... I even sensed, maybe it's because Niall Quinn was the main pundit yesterday on Sky, but watching their coverage, it seemed to me... I don't know Sunderland always look good on TV anyway. There's always a good atmosphere. Maybe, mm. maybe they're a good part. Maybe they're good for Sky. To, mm. They're a good club to have involved. Mm. But it seemed to me that there was almost a willingness for, and it was largely because because Quinn was there. I guess that's just the way it's going to be. But almost as though, yeah, it, it was a good result. I think I think probably I don't think Cardiff are particularly popular really because of everything that's happened there. Yeah, the season people, you know, if someone has to go down, then if it's Vincent Tan. Fair enough. Although you wonder where that would where that would leave the club if Vincent Tan decides I'm not interested in being the owner of a championship. Yeah, well, Vincent club. Tan has, has said in the uh, earlier this season. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, you know, careful what you wish for. It now looks as though fans. as though Norwich are going to get relegated because um, they've their two last games are very difficult. City, City and Tottenham, I think, uh, and they're already in the relegation zone. Two games to go, and, you, and it looks as though they're not going to win. Uh, no, it's Chelsea. <laughs> Sorry, it's Chelsea and City. So, oh yeah, awkward. I mean, Norwich could potentially have a big effect on the on the title race, mm. um, but or they could just get <laughs> battered by both those teams. Yeah, which is more likely. So I think they're going Fulham. Um, Fulham really shouldn't have lost the two 0 lead against Hull, uh, and since they did that, they're likely to get really good. I hope you've enjoyed second half football at the Irish Times. So I do have a listen to the first show we put out this week. We've got plenty of reaction to Munster Toulon and that one with Shane Horgan and Jerry Thornley. We also had Ushi McConville and Anthony Moyles in to talk about the Dublin's League victory and also the, the birth of a new phenomenon, that is the patronising Dublin football supporter. This is something that Anthony noticed. I'm not going to give you any more of that now. Sorry, I made a mistake. It's it, it's Arsenal and Chelsea who Norwich have to play. So Arsenal at home is their, is their last game, but Chelsea uh, looks like a tough one. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Thanks for Kieran. listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.